So, the big question is this. How are ambitious people like us, who don't have a lot of resources, did not go to Ivy League colleges, were not born into wealth, how do we become resourceful enough? Use our creativity, our dedication, and a little bit of crazy to bootstrap our way to realizing our dreams. Whether it is launching a new company, launching a new app, or making it to the top of the corporate ladder. That is the question. And this podcast will give you the answers. Please like, share, and subscribe to get new episodes, videos, and other updates. Hello, and welcome to this new episode of Bootstrapping Your Dreams Show. I'm your host, Manu Jagarwal, and today I will be talking with Barry O'Reilly. He's the author of Unlearn, Let Go of Past Success to Achieve Extraordinary Results, and co-author of the international bestseller, Lean Enterprise, How High-Performance Organizations Innovate at Scale. Um, and uh, it's a part of his uh, Harvard Business Review as well. Uh, he's internationally sought-after speaker, frequent writer, and contributor to The Economist, Strategy Plus Business, and MIT Sloan Management Review. Uh, Barry works with business leaders and teams from global organizations that seek not to fear the future, but invent it. He has been an entrepreneur, employee, and a consultant. After several startups, his focus shifted towards the enterprise, where he has pioneered the intersection of business model, uh, business model innovation, product development, organizational design, and culture transformation. Barry is a faculty at Singularity University, advising and contributor contributing to the university's executives and accelerator programs based in San Francisco and throughout the globe. Uh, He graduated in business information systems and management from the Technological University of Dublin. Uh, Welcome, Barry. It's an honor to have you, and uh, I'm excited to learn a lot from you. And I'm I'm delighted to be here. Thanks very much for inviting me. Yeah. Uh, So can you tell us a little bit about your background, your experience, and uh, how you got into the business world? Well, and my first job was working in a company in, in San Francisco called City Search. It was in the late 90s. Mm-hmm. And um, we had a service where you'd pay $50 a month and we would build you a thing called a website. Uh-huh, I see. Where we, where we would go around to your, your shop, maybe it's a restaurant or place of business, and we'd take a couple of photos. We'd put down what your address was, if you were a restaurant, what your opening hours were, what was on your menu, and mm-hmm. we would... We would put you on the internet. You would have like barryshop.citysearch.com as a URL and you'd be part of a search engine directory. The companies could look you up. Um, and it was super fun, really interesting. That, that gave me my sort of first experience in working in uh, the sort of startup world uh, and, and emergent technology like the internet at the time. Yeah. And, uh, that, that was a great experience for me and started my sort of curiosity about figuring out uh, problems and ways that you can solve it in interesting ways using technology. Mm-hmm. Awesome. And um, how did you uh, go from there on to, you know, uh, write so many books and, and uh, starting your own companies? Uh, tell us a little bit about your early, uh, early successes and early failures. Well, there's plenty of failures. That, that, I think that's what makes you want to write a book is when you fail so many times, you want people to make better mistakes. Yeah, for sure. Um, I, you know, the, even working in, in uh, City Search, it was, you know, I learned a lot about uh, figuring out when technology is in its, in its early stages, mm-hmm. understanding how to use the technology and what it's potentially for, 
You, know, you, you don't really understand it. And the only way you understand is by constantly experimenting, you know, when, and, uh, you know, even after City Search, where I, I moved on and I, I joined a mobile games development company, and we were building uh, games on phones just after uh, Java started to be put on phones. Yeah, yeah. So most people might remember Nokia phones. Would you, would you remember Nokia phones? Oh, yeah, yeah. I worked on it extensively. Okay, great. So, you know, Nokia had this game on a call Snake where you would go around the screen trying to, like, you know, eat, eat this little uh, yeah, pixel yeah. and your snake would get bigger and bigger, right? And, and so just after that phone, uh, Java Micro Edition got started to be put onto phones. And it was yeah. very, uh, and we had a great technology called Wireless Application Protocol, WAP, like the yeah. first version of even before, I know we're at 5G now, but this is even before Gs existed. And, <laughs> You know, so we were building games where people would have to play distributed games on very naive or early versions of um, Java on phones over a wireless protocol that was super flaky. And, you know, so I, I was learning not only how to build games, but like figure out how platforms worked and what, what, how you used to have to hack technology when it was in its infancy to even find out how people would use it. Um, and we were lucky. We created um, the most po- one of the most popular games, I think, in Europe. It was called Wireless Pets, which was like a version of Tamagotchi, where you would look after a pet on your phone and feed it and, and watch it grow. And, and, and people loved it. And it got a sort of um, a round of funding and starting to build games for companies like Sony and Sega and Disney, because nobody else was doing it. And... Um, you know, it was a great opportunity, but also the technology was still very naive. And I was very naive as a, not only an entrepreneur or a product manager or, or an engineer. Um, you know, I didn't know the answers and lots of things didn't work for us. And yeah. so we were constantly experimenting all the time, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and one of the, like we were a startup, there was four people in our company at the time. Yeah. You know, we, we didn't have a testing team. We, we didn't have an operations team. We, we just had four people. And you were product designer, engineer, operations manager, salesperson. And, you know, I think all the challenge of the diversity of roles was great for me to actually figure out what roles I liked and didn't like. Yeah. And also because there was only four of us and all of us were writing code, you know, we also started to realize that, you know, the quality of our code, we couldn't test it all. Yeah, so we start, and I couldn't write my own code and test it. I would just said, you know, we'd really crap uh, software. So, you know, we, we started to do research and see what other people were doing. And I, I found out about that the, the Department of Defense used to have two developers sit at one screen. One person would write and the other person would review the code. Yeah. And that sort of made me discover paired programming. And, and it opened up my eyes to extreme programming and uh, this introduction to a lot of these agile methods in the sort of early 2000s. Yeah, and and again, that was sort of transformational for me because we were failing to create high quality software. We weren't. We were failing to move knowledge around these new platforms around the company, and yet we found this system by by having two people pairing together, writing the games that people who understood platforms could coach others. Yeah, uh, you could test your code. The quality of code we were writing was better, and we started to ship higher quality products and and learn together more and that was a huge sort of aha moment for me and the power of having diverse teams and working in pairing and 
starting to use methods like test-driven development and shipping code more frequently and experimenting with customers and getting feedback to build better products. So that was a huge sort of um, aha moment, I guess, for me in my career, is starting to understand that you can be systematic about how you experiment, how you build products, um, and how you, how you can leverage knowledge from team members to create something better. And yeah. Um, yeah, that was just a great experience uh, in many ways for me and, and probably one of the more formative things that, that I did. That's great. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I guess uh, the underlying message is even if, you know, um, you are a startup and you're facing all these challenges, you have a lot, you know, very minimal resources. Uh, there's always uh, something to learn out of that. And, you know, these challenges make us better and uh, you can always learn from it and improve it, on it and uh, share that knowledge with others and which is what we are doing here as well. So thank you for sharing that. Um, now, you are an expert on this concept of unlearning. So tell us a little bit about that. That's a very intriguing uh, concept. So as I said, I carried on in my career. And I, I used to run consultancy for a group called ThoughtWorks, which is a really well-known in the agile space. And uh, I, we wrote Lean Enterprise, which was my first book on the back of those experiences, how to drive innovation and, and create high-performance organizations, especially in scaling and scaled companies. And, you know, on the back of that book, I started then working with a lot of executives and business leaders and, and technology leaders about driving innovation in their company, in the market, in their products. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, what I was constantly finding is while working with these leaders is they're, they're very, very smart, very, very competent people. Yeah. You know, and, and what I would constantly find is that while learning new techniques, skills and methods was hard, what was actually even harder was unlearning their existing behaviors, the things that had made them successful in the past. Yeah. And they believed that those would be the things that would continue to make them successful in the future. Mm -hmm. um, so this was sort of another aha moment for me is that, you know, learning, everyone you meet will talk about learning being key to the industry that they're in, whether they're building products or, or improving themselves. But, you know, learning is not the only thing you also have to recognize what's not working, what's holding you back, what's ineffective and, and let go of it. Mm -hmm. And I think most people will argue that they are continuous learners, but at the same time, you can't just keep learning. You also have to unlearn and let go of things that are holding you back. Yeah. And I just found this was even more uh, pertinent, the more senior that you were working with in organizations yeah. and especially people who were like uh, senior leaders and executives all their feedback mechanisms were telling them that they're doing the right thing, right? They're getting promoted. Yeah, their businesses yeah. are profitable. Yeah. You know, customers like their products. And when you try to explain to those people that if they want to get better, they're probably going to have to let go of some of the behaviors that have made them successful. Yeah. Their initial reaction is to think you're a bit crazy, you know, or, or who, who am I to tell them what, what uh, they should be doing. You know, what do I know about their business and so on and so forth. You know, and, and this is one of the reasons why when I talk to people about unlearning, I, I try to help them understand that it's not saying that everything you know is wrong. Mm -hmm. What we're trying to do is create a system to continuously adapt to changing circumstances, challenges, or situations. So what made you successful a year ago might not be what makes you successful in a year's time or even today mm -hmm. because the market will change, customer demand will change, technology will change. 
So you need to sort of constantly adapt your behavior. You know, another way I try and help people understand is just like a product has features, yeah. humans have behaviors. Mm-hmm. And as we products to stay relevant, you have to continuously innovate the features of a product to adapt to the market. Mm -hmm. Just like people need to continuously adapt or innovate their behavior to adapt to the market that they're operating in. So the way I sort of define and learning then is that it's, it's moving away and letting go or reframing once useful mindsets and acquired behaviors Mm -hmm. that were successful in the past, but now potentially limit your future success. So in, it's the conscious act really of letting go of outdated information, actively engaging and taking in new information to inform your decision-making and action. So you really what I'm trying to teach people is a system to recognize when the behaviors they're using are not driving the outcomes they want. And then how do they start to experiment or relearn new behaviors to get the breakthroughs that they need? That's great. That's great. And so, I mean, I'm, I'm sure this has uh, something to do with, you know, as you said, the positive feedback loop, you know, they're getting that positive feedback that whatever they're doing is right. And we tend to get complacent and sort of, you know, set in our own ways. Um, do you find uh, that is one of the reasons why it is so difficult to unlearn and even recognize that we need to unlearn? Yeah, I think that there's many characteristics, right? Like one of the first ones for me is, most people don't really describe success in terms of outcomes they're aiming for. Mm-hmm. They describe what they're doing and if what they're doing, and it's very easy to say when you do something that it failed for one reason, or if it was successful, it was obviously everything you were doing. Right. And people trick, we trick ourselves into that yeah. sort of state. I think great experimenters are good at describing the outcome they're aiming for before they start experimenting. Yeah. And then they've something to be accountable to. So if I say, you know, my aspiration is to run a mile 20% faster than my existing time, and then I start training. You know, if I'm sitting at home eating cheeseburgers and never going out exercising, you know, I can see that my behaviors are not actually impacting the outcome that I'm aiming for. You know, but it's very easy for people then who don't set outcomes to just say, oh, yeah, I went for a walk yesterday. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I walk to the shops, I must be getting better. Mm-hmm. And I think that they're very different sort of mi- mindsets, but also systems. Yeah, yeah. Um, and if you really want to be serious about relearning and experimenting with new behaviors, you need to define the outcomes before you start and then start running experiments, then start seeing what works and what doesn't. And yeah. that will guide you towards the direction you're aiming for and hopefully get the breakthroughs you're aiming for. That's a great word you use, experimentation, because, you know, most of what we do in in business and personal lives are generally just experiments. And, you know, we are not really sure how it's going to turn out. And uh, if, if we treat, you know, these ventures as experiments, uh, things become a lot easier. Um, so so that's a really good word that you use. Um, now, related to this, you also um, have a story about Roman Empire, how they... Uh, how they unlearned and learned new things. Uh, will you like to share that story with our audience today? Yeah, well, again, one of these, the big inspirations for me when I was uh, researching the book was, you know, history has so much to teach us, mm-hmm. you know, and, and yet so many of history's great lessons end up being both learned and then unlearned, mm-hmm. and, which is, again, is very interesting for me. You know, and, and when I talk a lot about, um, you know, these great 
innovations that the Roman Empire had. When I most ask people, you know, what, what are the great innovations uh, of Rome? You know, invariably, people will say things like roads or aqueducts or, you know, their systems of government and so forth. But the innovation that was sort of really key for them was as soon as they either conquered or took on other civilizations, they always let go of their existing practices once they found practices that were better than their own. I see. And that was a huge innovation um, for because they were building a system mm-hmm. that would have allowed them to both learn and unlearn. Yeah. When they recognized that different cultures had better behaviors, they'd incorporate those better behaviors into their systems of operation mm-hmm. and then unlearn the ones that were holding them back. You know, and, and this allowed them to sort of you know, start up and scale and sustain themselves for over 500 years. Yeah. You know, eventually covering at the peak maybe twenty percent of the world's population yeah. in a system of of leadership that sort of recognised the good and bad of the, both their own systems and the and the cultures that they interacted with, until you know they sort of started unlearn that, yeah. and you know that's when their empire started to crumble and what led us into the dark ages. Mm. So it's really interesting to see you know like we have this sort of pattern in humanity where there's great lessons from the past that we sometimes learn and sometimes we forget. Um, And I think that was a real inspiration story for me about when I was starting to consider, you know, what does unlearning really mean? And you you look at a lot of organizations today, you know, a lot of the things that made them successful at certain parts in their history suddenly can actually be to their detriment. Yeah. And, and then how do they sort of recognize that and evolve? You know, and I think uh, one of the classic examples probably at the moment is General Electric are going through this difficulty, right? Like they're all through the 80s, Jack Welch's leadership was to be, be the number one market, get as big as you can, get as many people as you can, build a moat around your business, be yeah. high buyers to entry. And now with the technology innovation happens and then suddenly they're struggling because companies are scaling not through people, but through technology. Yeah. They're building great products to learn and unlearn what their customers want. Yeah, sure. The reason the most valuable companies in the world today now are, are the companies such as Amazon, Apple, Alphabet, is that they've built these platforms to allow them to learn at high accuracy, high fidelity, and in mass yeah. about what works for their customers and what doesn't work. Yeah. what they should learn and unlearn to create great products and services. Uh, so it's interesting to see this sort of principle has played out through many ages and the companies that remember it seem to accelerate and the ones that seem to forget it are the ones that stumble. Yeah, that's very interesting. And, you know, there, you know, we were earlier talking about Nokia. Uh, it's the same story, right? Like, you know, they were the dominant player in the mobile uh, phone industry and now they are you know minuscule uh, same goes for kodak and and bunch of other companies so i guess you know th- this is just human nature to get complacent and sort of you know trust their own judgment uh, rather than taking into account the environmental changes that are happening around them i think so all right uh, now you know uh, you earlier mentioned like you know if, if we run an experiment we need to figure out what is the end goal what is the objective uh, so for a company or a startup uh, is uh, monetary profit the sole uh, outcome that we should be looking for or 
Is there anything more to that? Well, my, my short answer is no. You know, I think great companies solve great customer problems. Mm-hmm. And if you solve customer problems really well, then people send you money. Mm-hmm. Right? I think when you start to optimize for just making money, I think you make some very poor decisions. And we've seen that through trying to companies that optimize for shareholder value yeah, yeah, always yeah. fail when they compete against companies that are trying to create amazing experiences for customers. You know, and I think this is one of the things, again, if you really hone in on the founding principles of companies like Apple and what Steve Jobs will continuously talk about is, you know, they wanted to create products that help people change the world. Like their mission was for people to change the world and people who did change the world probably used Apple products. Like that's, that's how he sort of envisaged his future. Yeah. If you talk or listen to Bezos, he has customer obsession is the primary driver of everything that Amazon does. Yeah. You know, like think of the things that they do. For instance, even now today with AWS, you know, technologies like cloud infrastructure, where most companies are adopting that. Yeah. Now there's new technology called serverless, mm-hmm. which is basically creating utilities out of functions. Yeah. And in some instances is a fifth the price of cloud. And yet AWS are encouraging their customers to spend less money with them and use new technologies because they're optimizing for great customer outcomes. How can our customers have the best technology, the cheapest usage? You know, what company would sacrifice their profit to have better customer outcomes? Not many. And yet it's the sort of founding principle of what Amazon and AWS especially has been about. And I think that's a, a testament to their customer obsession, yeah, not yeah. their profitability obsession. For sure. And that has led them to become you know, one of the largest companies in the world. Um, so, and then, uh, you know, related to the same point about Amazon, uh, you know, they started off as an e-commerce as an e-commerce store, but now they're allowing other sellers to sell on their platform and compete with them uh, in many cases. So, uh, yeah, I, th- I think, again, it's one of these ideas that, they own the platform and then they're building an ecosystem on their platform to create stickiness to their platform and then also open up variety of choice to their customers and even more competitive prices. And I think that's, again, it's, it's interesting to see, but it's still founded on these core principles of customer obsession, giving people wide variety of choice, great information to make the buying decision that they want and really become the everything store. And I think that's very interesting, you know, and, 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 you know, they do have their challenges. You know, one of the things we're seeing a lot on their platforms now is that people are trying to manipulate the platform and and launching fake products that aren't actual products on their store. And I think there's, Again, unintended consequences as we start to build these amazing platforms, people will use them in ways we don't anticipate. So so how do they have good feedback mechanisms in place to recognize that people are using the right behaviors that they desire and they can catch the unintended consequences or negative behavior quickly and deal with it? Mm -hmm. So we, you know, great power comes this responsibility for good platforms. And I think it's interesting to see that conversation emerge. 
Yeah, that's for sure. Um, okay, so now, you know, let's say uh, a company recognizes or an entrepreneur recognizes that uh, he or she needs to unlearn and incorporate some new learnings. But obviously that carries, um, you know, certain amount of risk with it. So how do you manage that risk of, of change? Well, one of my key mantras, I think I always say, is you've got to think big, start small, and learn fast. Mm-hmm. So it's an imperative that we sort of challenge our thinking and have these big aspirational outcomes and aspirations that we're aiming for. Like if we're going to change the world, you've got to think big about something different. Yeah, yeah. But the way you start is not to think big and build big. The way you think big and you start small you know, and small means it's safe to fail. It means you can try lots of things really quickly and then learn fast what moves you in the direction you want or not. Yeah, yeah. You know, so it, this is really not a strategy I, I use a huge amount for dealing with uncertainty and complexity is, you know, be clear about your vision, get people to buy into it, inspire them by thinking big, but then start small to sort of de-risk that vision as quickly and cheaply as possible to learn fast what works and what doesn't for you mm-hmm. so you can make progress. And I think that pattern has been very powerful for me in my experience of working. And hopefully it can be helpful for people as they tackle uncertainty as they seek to learn, unlearn, or build amazing products. Great. Um, all right. Uh, there's another story that you shared in your book, The Lean Enterprise. You talked about GM and how they collaborated with Toyota and uh, they studied Toyota's uh, manufacturing methods, but they didn't actually incorporate it for almost quarter of a century. So can you share that uh, story with us and what, what were the implications for G, uh, GM uh, in that uh, regards? Yeah, I think one, one of the problems I often see is when people try to adopt innovation is they copy the practices, but they don't understand the principles that underline the practices and why they exist. Now, and a classic example of this was, you know, GM would go to Toyota factories and they would see how the factories were set up and what the workers were doing and how they, where they stood and what tools they had. And then they tried to replicate those exact factories back in North America, uh-huh. expecting that they would have the same performance improvement. You know, and Toyota wouldn't actively invite people in to see how they were working. Yeah, yeah. You know, and what Toyota would always say is that you can see what we're doing, but to understand what we're doing requires deliberate practice of experimentation every day. So at GM, they had all these different factory lines set up exactly as they were in Toyota, but people were just working the way they'd always worked. They weren't experimenting. You know, Toyota has a famous undone cord where you pull a cord and it stops the entire factory. I think. And then the manager comes over to the employee and, and thanks them, often because the employee has found a problem in the systems of work. And they sit there and they devise an experiment. Maybe it's they were trying to put the wheel on the car and it kept slipping off. So they devise an experiment to improve that system and then run the experiment on the next car. So they're continuously adapting the way they work. Where at GM, people were just copying the practice of having a car on the line and expecting a performance improvement to happen. But they didn't understand the principle about why the line existed. You know, and I think this is sort of uh, one of the things we fall into the traps in entrepreneurship. People simply think that they need to apply lean startup or they need to just talk to customers. 
and then everything will be fine. But really, it's understanding really the, the principles that matter, like fast feedback mechanisms, like working in small batches, shipping and iterating frequently. You know, these are all principles that are important to help you deal with uncertainty. Yeah. And then you can figure out what practices work best for you and apply them in your context that you understand. And I think that's the bit people miss. And um, if you want to be successful, you know, you've got to deliberately practice new methods based on the context you're in and the principles you value. And then your practices will emerge. And um, I think that's another lesson for people as they try to tackle entrepreneurship. Just like I figured out that paired programming was going to help when we were doing the startup. You know, I didn't, I didn't know about that practice. Yeah. I just knew we had a problem. And then I, I researched things that might help us. Yeah. And I, that's how I found it and tried it. And it seemed to work for us. So I think that's the, the lessons really for people here. That's great. Yeah, I mean, it's almost like uh, evolution, like, you know, any, any kind of evolutionary uh, path. Uh, it goes through all the, these experimentations and, you know, it has a feedback loop, which tends to um, pick the, the strongest winner move on to the next step and keep repeating the process until, you know, you, you get a human from an ape or a, or a single-celled animal. Well, I'll tell you, one thing I've definitely learned is the first thing you try is rarely the thing that you end up keeping. For sure, yeah. yeah. Um, all right. Uh, carrying on with the Toyota production system, you also uh, talk about this concept about tail risk management approach. So can you tell us a little bit about that? I think their approach to risk management, um, at, uh, specifically at, at Toyota, again, it's this idea of giving people problems to solve, right? They, they're very good at setting challenges for their teams to achieve in terms of outcomes. A simple example at the moment might be uh, the Toyota Prius is a, a hybrid car. Mm-hmm. You know, Toyota have set a challenge that uh, all their cars have 0% emissions by 2020. Mm-hmm. So everybody who's working on that car has got a clear outcome that they're working towards over the next two years to try and get its emissions down to 0%. You know, and and that's, I think that's very powerful when you describe those outcomes because now people are running experiments to see how can they make the car uh, emission-free. Mm-hmm. You know, you'll have teams who are working on the exhaust, you have people working on the engine, you have people that are working on the air conditioning all of these people have sort of a clear unifying force about what success is and how they can contribute to it and then devising their own experiments to try and contribute towards it. And I think especially when you're working on complex things like a car, there's many different components, lots of moving parts, lots of people contributing to it, you know, having clear outcomes from a strategic business point of view helps teams align on what success is. And I think that's one, one great thing that they do really well. Awesome. And um, let's, uh, if, I, if I can um, uh, ask you some questions about your own life, what was your personal process? You know, uh, what did you have to unlearn and relearn? Uh, tell us a little bit about that. I think one of the big ones for me was actually about writing a book. Mm-hmm. You, know, I, I, you know, I'm terrible at uh, writing. You know, I, had, like, I just got D pluses <laughs> barely all the way through high school, you know, and I never thought I would ever be a writer um, because I struggled with writing. It's hard for me. And, you know, and what I learned and unlearned on the book recently 
is that the outcome I'm aiming for is not to type, mm-hmm. not to, it's not to physically type a book. It's to create content. Yeah, yeah. And there's many ways you can create content. So when I was able to like reframe that the outcome I was aiming for was high quality content, how could I do that? And I realized that for me, the more natural way for me to create content wasn't to type it, was to actually talk it. Yeah. So what I would do is I would, you know, create like mini outlines for each chapter and I would sort of talk through them and record it and then send it to a transcription service that would automatically create a whole chapter for me based on what I had talked. Yeah. And then I would work with an editor to help edit it down to more digestible format for reading. And then suddenly I was iterating my chapters very, very quickly. So I think this was, again, was one of these sort of think big, start small and learn fast. I thought big about writing a book, but started small by doing these small interviews and transcribing them and then editing and learn, shipping them and to people for feedback and learning fast what worked and what didn't. And that was a real sort of aha moment again for me and applying the unlearning method to the way I wrote a book. And um, that was sort of a real, yeah, great insight for me too that's great uh, that's a r- real world example of how people can unlearn and you know apply new techniques and experiment so that's amazing um, all right great thank you so much uh, barry uh, it's been a pleasure speaking to you and i think you've shared so many good insights uh, everyone got a lot of value out of it now before i let you go i, I understand you have a startup uh, of your own now um, can you talk about that and any other ventures that you are working on yeah, I have a lot happening at the moment. I think um, on learning now is really starting to uh, gain a lot of momentum. And I, I've been de- delivering various keynotes and workshops throughout the globe. Uh, and I'm excited to start offering a new proposition in that space. So I encourage people to go to onlearn.online and, and see what's happening there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also ob- obviously do a lot of innovation management and strategy coaching for businesses, executives, and teams. Mm-hmm. So people can follow me on uh, at Barry O'Reilly on Twitter or barryoreilly.com. And there's uh, lots of blogs, newsletters, and and obviously the Unlearn podcast that I run myself, where people can come and hear uh, stories from people who have unlearned and what they've tried and not worked and not worked. And more than happy to share all that. Uh, once again, thank you, Barry, uh, for all your wisdom and uh, all the knowledge that you have shared with us today. Thank you. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Thanks for having me on. So again, I'm Manoj Agarwal and thanks a lot for joining us on Bootstrapping Your Dreams show. And now, if you are an existing or an aspiring technology entrepreneur, then I invite you to check out my new online workshop, Bootstrapping Your Tech Startup Dreams. Go to go.tetranoodle.com slash boot hyphen podcast and sign up for free. I want to make sure more successful and sound decisions are made every day in your tech projects. Let's start finding solutions to your problems. So go to go.tetranoodle.com slash boot hyphen podcast and I look forward to helping you with your tech startups.